And these abusers, what their goal is, is again, to strip us of our autonomy. So as we keep giving, they keep taking. Mm-hmm. And so the boundary just keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. So then before you know it, your car is being tracked, your computer's hacked. I mean, all of these technology things that happen that people don't even realize you don't have to have access to someone's computer to hack their computer. Welcome to the Empath of the Narcissist podcast, where you regain your sparkle back after narcissistic abuse. I am your host, Raven Scott, your nurturing warrior guide through the darkness. This is episode 109, What is Coercive Control Orchestrated by the Narcissist? with Christine Cochiola. Just a reminder, this episode is for educational purposes only, and it is not a substitute for professional therapy. If you're enjoying this podcast, hit subscribe and rate and review this podcast. I myself just as the Hindu goddess Kali and Mesopotamian goddess Inanna have walked through the darkness, died to myself and ego, and ascended to connect with my true authentic self. Part of that healing journey, I really benefited from talk therapy. This is why I specifically chose, out of all the sponsors out there, BetterHelp. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. It allows you to talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience with a broad range of expertise and BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network. It will give you access to help that you need that may not be available in your area. Finding a therapist is easy. You just fill out the questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Everything you share is completely confidential in therapy So join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash empath. That's betterhelp.com forward slash E-M-P-A-T-H in the link in the show notes. I can now say I am a curator of a spiritual healing studio at the Raven Scott Show much long-awaited, anticipated, and synchronistic has happened. As of right now, there are three offerings you can choose from. Each includes an audio lesson, workbook, and guided healing practices. And I hope to, in the future, host Moon Circles in 2023 in this studio. So first is the free How to Draw Powerful Boundaries workshop where you will be free from the narcissist's negative emotion cycle, aka drama, and create a positive life with the hidden truth revealed in this workshop very few people know yet. And the second one next is How to Leave the Narcissist workshop in your life physically and emotionally, whether it be a partner or family. When you finally discover this untapped secret in this workshop, your pain, shame, and self-loathing disappears. You will shift from a quiet, codependent person to your confident, vibrant, and authentic self. And it's about damn time for you to love life, right? And have fun and be free to drop a towel on the floor or watch reality TV and hold on to the remote control. And you can't do that with the narcissist in your life. And the third is the Soul Integration Masterclass, which includes materials from my new book, Feel It to Heal It, Anana's Descent into the Underworld, and a 30-page workbook that I will have up for purchase on Amazon. This masterclass is hosted in conjunction and, and 
collaboration with the astrologer Magic Kathy. You heard her on the podcast earlier. And March 2023 and the first half of the year is not going to be easy. So with Pluto into Aquarius, Saturn into Pisces, the nodes are shifting into Aries and Libra. These are going to be some tough times and you want to be prepared and you want to be, and we wanted to support you. So this is why we responded in creating this masterclass for you. It includes four major bonus goodies, plus all of the supportive tools, meditations, journal rituals, DNA activation, cheat codes, and spiritual alignment practices and more. Like so much more. (laughs) I can't even emphasize how much just channeled through both of us to share with you in this masterclass. And it's all here to support you so that you can live authentically on another level that no one will recognize you anymore. You'll, you will not put up with the low level BS anymore. And they'll not recognize you in a good way. And your soul will be alive, aligned and integrated into this 3D body. So make sure you take a look at those offerings, claim which ones you choose or all of them. We have different price levels. The first one's free. The next one, How to Leave the Narcissist Workshop, is only $97. And all of the materials in there really are valued at $599. The Soul Integration Masterclass is on sale for $223 until $1123. This masterclass will go back back up to its original price at $444. And of course, my book, Empath and the Narcissist, How to Overcome Narcissistic Abuse and Recovery from PTSD, Codependency, Gaslighting, and Manipulation is available on Amazon all throughout the holidays. You can actually grab this as a free ebook on my website. If you are needing support and don't have that extra cash to grab it or you need it right away, It's also an audible that you can listen to. And there's so much support for you this holiday season here. I know this is going to be tough. It's already a tough year. It's going to be tough holidays. You've awakened to the narcissist now. You're going to have to deal with the narcissist throwing temper tantrums and the whole drama of the holidays and all of the things because you're starting to draw healthy boundaries and they don't like that. So there's so many exciting things happening in the studio to assist you in your spiritual journey. And I just love how this evolution has evolved and I'm really feeling very fulfilled and empowered to be supporting you from out of the dark and into your magical sparkle. So I promise that won't be as long of an intro next time. I just had to share all the new happenings that are going on Um, today. We have a beautiful guest, Dr. Christine Marie Cocciola. She is amazing. She is DSW, LCSW, and is a coercive control advocate, educator, researcher, and survivor. She is a full-time college professor teaching social work for the last 20 years in Connecticut and also an adjunct instructor at NYU. Her expertise is in the areas of intimate partner violence, trauma, and child abuse developing and presenting workshops on these topics both nationally and internationally. She is so amazing, doing amazing work. Christine is a board member of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence and has supported policy, codifying coercive control, which is really important when it comes to the laws and defining abuse, and has a small private practice primarily serving victims and survivors of coercive control. 
She is the creator of the Protective Parenting Program, supporting protective mothers on their journey towards healing their children. We covered topics concerning why certain people are the perfect prey for the narcissist, why so many people are victims and survivors suffer from subjugation, and how to overcome these maladaptive coping mechanisms, the experiences of children in these relationships, and so much more. So amazing. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Hello, Christine. It's so good to have you here. Thank you so much for joining. Well, thank you for inviting me on. Absolutely. So this concept, I had already read your bio and everyone's heard that you are a coercive control advocate and educator. And I can't wait for you to unpack what that is in our episode today. But uh, before we even dive into that, I just wanted to get to know you uh, just a tiny bit about what your backstory is and how you got into this work. Sure, sure. So I've been doing this work since I was 19 years old. Oh, wow. I began as a volunteer for the local umbrella agency as a domestic violence sexual assault counselor. Um, I spoke on the steps of City Hall on child pornography at the age of 20. So I have kind of always been a social justice advocate and um, and then became a teacher, worked in uh, child welfare. And all the while, I was continuing to volunteer my time at this agency and got married, had children, and then um, every semester teach on the power and control wheel and because I teach social work. And Mm -hmm. uh, the power and control wheel, one time or another, just kind of like hit me like, "Hmm, is this this my life? Is this what's going on with me? So I always tell people that even the most astute of us can miss the signs of someone who's trying to have power and control over us. Um, So yeah, so that's a little bit about my story. I have two amazing children who I'm so proud of and who have really overcome a lot of adversity because um, one of my major areas of focus, and I ended up getting a doctorate in clinical social welfare and focusing on coercive control, as you know, and my focus really became very much the experiences of children, that children don't just witness or are not just exposed to domestic abuse, and I call it domestic abuse because it's not always physically violent. Island, but yeah. that they actually are child victims of this experience, whether it's overt or covert is irrelevant. It's a significant psychological trauma. And so that's, that's a little bit about me and my cat Maggie is sitting on my lap. So I have, <laughs> I, have, I love that. <laughs> so that's amazing. That's so great. I know I wish I had a cat right now so that we can both have cat snuggling. <laughs> I always share in, you know, on this podcast that that was my dream when I was in that toxic relationship. I just wanted a good book. I wanted a nice bright apartment on the hill with a cat. Like that's all I wanted. Simple things in life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, let's talk about this domestic abuse, which maybe some of the listeners listening don't really realize they are in a domestic abuse situation. They feel like something's wrong and the community or the family that they're linked up with is convincing them to stay and just kind of accept the flaws of who they're with, even after something really major, like a physical altercation. Can you talk a little bit about that cycle, about how the victim can be so drawn to stay? 
Sure, sure. So I think, gosh, we're, there's so much to unpack here, right? Um, so I'm yeah. going to have you interrupt me if I go off way too far. But um, okay. so what we know about domestic abuse now, we know that most domestic abuse is based on this coercive control. And that certainly in some situations, there are people who suffer experiences of violence, and maybe both people are violent or one person is violent. But that the bottom line is that it's not based on power and control. Those are very minute cases. So that's important because there's a pathology difference in abusers. We are learning more and more that people who need to have power and control over others there is oftentimes an insidious abuse. We can't really see it or put our fingers on it. This person is attempting to control us or isolate us or gaslight us or maybe all of those things, manipulation. We call that psychological abuse. So the umbrella term mm -hmm. is coercive control, but then within that is psychological abuse, financial abuse, legal abuse, and use of the children as pawns, which of course is the most heartbreaking. Yeah. So if I have a pathology and I'm an abuser who needs to have power and control over others, I'm going to really do whatever I can to retain that. Mm -hmm. And if for some reason that begins to slip out of my hands, if for some reason I feel like I am not retaining that, I'm going to exert more control. I'm going to get more abusive. And so what we know about homicides, domestic abuse homicides, is that coercive control is the common denominator. So if a relationship is based on power and control, then even if it's never been physically abusive, which is often the case, Sometimes there's no physical abuse, which is why it's so great that we now have five states codifying coercive control as a form of domestic violence or domestic abuse. Mm. Because in every state in our country, 45 mm. other states, you have to have a, a physical effect right. of abuse. And so really understanding that this coercive control can look like a lot of different things to the point where... Oftentimes, victims think they're crazy, that they maybe did something wrong, that they should try to fix it. And I think we originally began talking when I first reached out to you. I think I reached out to you first, or maybe you reached, I don't remember. But in any case, it's this idea that I believe that I did some research on this, but that many victims are what we call perfect prey. Like if you have a pathology to have control over other people, you are not going to be attracted to someone who is not a giver. You are not going to be attracted to someone who doesn't try to fix things. That person is not going to be attractive to you as an abuser. Mm -hmm. The person who's going to be attractive to you is someone who shares their vulnerability, who trusts implicitly, who really tries very hard to make, and I caution when I say this, like a, everyone happy. Does that mean like you're always a people pleaser? Are you pleasing because you need other people to like you? Or do you please because in the bottom of your heart, that makes you feel good. Like you like making cookies for yeah, your nieces. This is coming nephews. from an overflowing versus a taking from outside of yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So abusers who coercively control and coercive control is the foundation of most domestic abuse. We know that now we call it intimate terrorism. Mm. It is a continuum. It can be, you can't get a job. 
It can be, you need to work two jobs. It can be, you know, you can't leave the home or you can't have friends over. It can be, I, you know, you can have friends over, but I don't like your friends. Like there's so many variations of this, Never mind the gaslighting and all of that. And, um, I think you, your first question was, how did I get into this? So obviously I married someone young, fell in love, had two amazing children and did not realize the slow insidious progression of the attempts to retain control. And I always say to people, I don't think I had low self-worth. It's not about low self-esteem. I've been a college professor for over 20 years. I've been a social yeah. worker many my whole life. I had an amazing career, great friends outside of the home, but there was something going on when I was home. And so was he overtly abusive? No, but there was always splitting going on between me and my kids. And so he was the hero with them and I was the target. And so it doesn't have to be, he's awful to you blatantly, or he's horrible to the kids. It can be so nuanced and varied for everyone. Um, I've had victims tell me that they worked two jobs and he didn't contribute all of his money to the account. That's financial abuse. And so it's an attempt to have control over. So I, I think it's just important for people to understand that if they are feeling like something's not right, it just maybe isn't right. There's something wrong, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, that's coercive control. Is there a definition to coercive? I know you explained a lot, so it makes sense of what it is now. It's like the umbrella of all abuse. But is there like a definition Sure. So coercive control can be non-physical or physical and is based on one person having power over another and stripping away the autonomy of that person. We call that Evan Stark, who is basically the creator of the word. I mean, the word was created before him, but he really helped to propel it. In a book he wrote, How Men Entrap Women. It is a gender oppression. Mm. It doesn't mean that it only happens to women, but that we know that it's based on patriarchy. It's this idea that people in positions of power, any kind of oppression is related to power over others. And he calls it unknowing what we know. Like you're literally in the relationship And if it were happening to someone else, you'd say, whoa, something's not right. But when it's happening to you because you've been so diminished in some way and your autonomy has been stripped, your ability to think for yourself, add in cognitive dissonance, add in the fact that the brain wants to keep us safe, right? And the brain doesn't want to believe bad things about someone we're supposed to be in a partnership with all of those things um, that we end up keep trying. We keep trying over and over and again in the relationship. And these abusers, what their goal is, is again, to strip us of our autonomy. So as we keep giving, they keep taking. Mm -hmm. And so the boundary just keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. So then before you know it, your car is being tracked, your computer's hacked. I mean, all of these technology things that happen that people don't even realize you don't have to have access to someone's computer to hack their computer. You don't have to have access to someone's phone to put an app on their phone and to track their phone. Um, So there's just so many ways that they insidiously abuse and yet 
I'm actually speaking at the International Coercive Control Conference, and I'm a founding member, and it's October 13th and 14th, and it's virtual, mm-hmm. but I'm speaking on the topic of DARVO, because mm. a lot of these abusers, what they do is they deny, attack, reverse, victim, and offender. And yeah. so they're going to call you a cheater when they're actually cheating while they're tracking you. This is what they do. You're smiling <laughs> because God. you totally know what I'm talking about. I totally about. get it. Oh, my God. It's insane. Yeah, it, and it does make you feel like you've gone crazy because you'll question them. They'll, like we said, darvo you, so defense, attack, reverse everything, blame you, and you're like, oh, I'm sorry. And all of a sudden, you're like apologizing for something that they're actually doing, and they're so right. good at it. It's infuriating. <laughs> They are so good at it. So I guess I did a talk last evening on this topic about what's the pathology of abusers. And really, like their egos are so shallow. Um, They did not have a healthy attachment when they were younger. They didn't receive unconditional positive regard. So the, the way that they feel good, right, is to never have shame. And then to project all of their badness onto everyone else. So they're really good at flipping the narrative, really good at yeah. it. And they I mean, actually, they've been doing it since they're probably like four or five, right? <laughs> and yeah. And so they get better at it as they age. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And they're almost delusional because they actually believe their lies. Like they actually believe them. Um Yeah. And so some people say, but they're trauma victims. And, you know, that's, you know, okay, but abuse is a choice. And many of us have experienced trauma and we don't go and abuse, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we can have empathy for them. We can have sympathy, but we can't fix them. We can't be their savior and they can't be ours. I think that's always where it gets jumbled up too, is they, you feel like you need to stay because you think that you're better than everyone else. They've had problems with. So you think that they, you could fix them. You have these advanced emotional skills. You can help them. You have this deep sensitivity for them, but it's not your job because then you've neglected yourself this whole time, right? Right. And you have nothing left. And like you said, as you're focusing on trying to fix them, it's almost like, you know, pit pocketers where they distract you and then they like pocket your backpack away or something from your pocket. That's what they're doing to you mentally and emotionally. And then you have, like you said, you have no autonomy left. All of a sudden, your name is not on any of the house records. Your name is not on your car. You know, all these things. I wanted to ask you, how can you protect yourself? I guess the first question is, how do they do this? How do they attach like a tracker or hack into your computer without even having access to that? And how can you protect yourself from that? Yeah. So there's ways like um, you can put like, um, it's a key strike thing. So you can see every time I go on my computer, when I hit the keys and put in my passcode, you can actually see the key strikes. Mm-hmm. So there's that. I mean, um, I'm sure there's many other ways now, but I, I think if you like literally were to Google how to um, GPS somebody, like literally it comes up online. So there's just so many. So if it's available out there, <laughs> Yeah. And I don't trust anyone because I'm an abuser, right? Yeah, and I don't right. trust anyone because I don't like myself and I, so I don't trust myself, right? So right. then I don't trust anyone. So I'm going to figure out ways to monitor you um, because I don't trust you, right? Even though mm-hmm. you haven't done anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, how do we protect ourselves? I mean, I think, first of all, I think it's important that one of the things we begin doing is teaching our young people, boys and girls, right? 
like what are the signs of unhealthy relationships, why the patriarchal norms are very unhealthy for boys and girls. Jackson Katz does a great TED Talk on this. Um, his book, The Macho Paradox, it's not about blaming men. It's about all of us uniting and creating this world where we begin to look at oppression through the lens of patriarchy. So historically, there was a group of people who were in positions of power who were men, right? I mean, that's how countries were formed. I mean, really, this is the reality of our world. So how do we begin? I I was saying to a group of moms um, last night about getting the ERA ratified and making sure Mm -hmm. that women are actually seen as equal citizens. I mean, that's huge. If you, if, if people want to talk like that, we have to start. I think the answer is we have to make systemic changes mm-hmm. on a macro level. Like I can, you know, we can have these conversations and help us hopefully a lot of people in these types of conversations. But from here, we have to be able to move forward and look at systemically what we might be able to change, whether it's state by state. We just passed VAWA with Caden's Law. That's amazing. So now VAWA also includes child safety, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, how often do abusers actually have shared custody of children? I mean, that's like you can't even like in what world do we live in that that actually happens? Right. Um, And you know, we could talk about post-separation abuse and the idea that what we know about coercive control is that 90% of victims of coercive control suffer post-separation abuse. Post-separation mm-hmm. abuse is just coercive control intensified. So yeah. now the stalking intensifies. Now the monitoring, the following, the threats, the emails, the it just intensifies. Um, had my ex-partner not gotten so abusively over, he had been covert, mm-hmm. but had he not gotten so overtly abusive when I did finally leave, and it takes up to seven attempts to leave, I probably tried to more than five. Um, if he had not been so overtly abusive, I might still be with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the reality, right? So yeah. I needed him to actually show me like how horrifying he could be with lots of verbal abuse through emails um, and following. So, um, and many other things, but in any case, the point is, is it gets worse. So we tell victims to leave, Mm -hmm. but when they leave, they might be the most unsafe. Right. That's true. And they might have to share custody with an abuser. Right. They're at their most vulnerable. Yeah. It's difficult. We had a guest on talking about, um, she coaches women through high conflict co-parenting with narcissists. Episode 81, How to Co-Parent with a Narcissist After Divorce with Sarah Komodo and all of the different tools that they can do emotionally and boundaries they can put up. And it's important to make sure that you're not vulnerable, that you are ready for the fight because it might be worse before you leave, but then it can get even more worse after you leave. It's, it's always that the big violent storm before the calm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you hope you have calm. They say it takes on average about five years. And this is what I say. So not all narcissists are coercive controllers, but all coercive controllers are narcissists. Mm. All of them are. And coercive controllers are malignant, covert, and overt narcissists. They're malignant. They are beyond the normal, like not the normal, but they are beyond just being grandiose or victim. Borderline sociopath, right? 
Borderline? Yeah, I would. Um, I think Dr. Grande does a really good job of unpacking it as psychopathy um, and mm-hmm. psychopath. Um, mm-hmm. I think sociopath became a word that we used that was created by people trying to be a little more gentler in oh. the terminology. Okay. Yeah. It's, it yeah. all affects the social, so socio and psycho, and it relates to the mind. It's unhealthy. Totally. 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 No matter what totally. you call it. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. detrimental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so why are so many people who are victims of these survivors suffering from subjugation mm. and how to overcome these maladaptive coping mechanisms? Yeah. So I did a research study, um, And it affirmed what I assumed, and that is that um, when we look at subjugation traits, people who tend to have these, we call them maladaptive coping skills. We all have maladaptive coping skills. We all have them, right? We can all improve (laughs) any of our coping skills. Nobody's perfect. (laughs) But victims tend to have a high rate of subjugation, and that is this Uh idea that we worry about somebody being angry with us. So we try Mm. to avoid somebody being angry with us. We just don't want to disrupt the apple cart. We kind of try to avoid conflict. And so that is the perfect prey, P-R-E-Y, for an abuser. Because he's hoping that he can continue to push those boundaries. And he knows what makes you feel good. Right? So we all have things that make us feel good. And for people who are subjugated, we feel good when our world around us is people who are relatively pleased, you know, in general, that they're not disappointed in us, that they're relatively pleased. And, and you know, some people say this borders on codependency. I don't really agree because it's not, again, it's not that you're looking for external validation. It's that you truly feel better as a human being, when everyone else is feeling better. And, and so I think uh, if you have like these traits, part of what needs to occur, right, is to be able to start implementing boundaries. And, um, and we start with small things, like in the clinical world, we use little examples like, you know, I don't know, um, the UPS guy drops off your box underneath your deck, but you really would like it underneath your front porch, right? And But, you you know, he, do, he works so hard and he's working such crazy hours. Do you really want to bother him with that? But yeah, okay. So that's an example of just switching the boundary just a little bit more about taking care of you. Because one of the things that happens, and we see this in abusive relationships, is that when we are consistently subjugated over and over again, we do reach a boiling point sometimes. Mm-hmm. You hold it in, hold it in, and then explode. Sure. And that's a normal reaction. And, um, you know, I don't know how you feel about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, but I feel like if we look at the history of that relationship, there was coercive control from the very beginning. There was one person who had power over another person. I'm not suggesting either person was behaving well. Right. But I'm suggesting one person was in a position of being less power. There wasn't ega- it wasn't an egalitarian relationship from the very get-go, even if we just take an age differential, if we take yeah. a monetary differential. But there were other things that happened very clearly in my mind. Um, and so, you know, when victims react after years or after multiple times of being subjugated, 
when they react, we as a society look at them and say, whoa, what are you doing? Or how could you have behaved that way? Or look at the anger problem you have, or you have a, you have a disorder versus saying, whoa, that's trauma. And, mm-hmm. and again, in that situation, the herd dep one, they both have trauma, no question about it. But again, yeah. who was the person with the power in the relationship? Instead of us uh, pathologizing victims, how about looking at, oh my gosh, she has been trapped. That's what Evan Stark calls it. So coercive control is about trapping you or entangling you in a web, mm-hmm. keeping you really tightly in a place where you know you can't move too much physically. Yeah. For some people, some people get locked in rooms. Those are the horrifying cases of um, coercive control. And then maybe just like psychologically, like trapped or knowing that as a mom, you can't say, you can't listen to your favorite music because if you do, you're going to be made fun of in front of the kids. And then the whole family participates in the making fun of you. So you know enough, you can't play your music. That's an example of you being subjugated over and over again, right? So then the one time yeah. you turn on your music and somebody makes fun of you and you react, oh, now you're, now you're cuckoo, right? Mm-hmm. Now you're the crazy mm-hmm. one. Oh, look at her, right? And so the abuser will definitely highlight that and use that against you. Yeah. And so what I say to victims is until you begin to really – victims and survivors, until you really begin to create stricter boundaries for yourself, you're going to elevate. It makes sense. It just makes, you're going to be triggered and you're going to elevate. So what you really have to do is begin to create those clearer boundaries so that you're not going to elevate. It's going to, it's going to create a sense of power for you, which is healthy personal power. We call it personal power, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then scoping mechanisms and you being able to just be who you are confidently within yourself and don't care if they make fun of you and then don't react. Like that's where you really gain your power back. Whereas you are literally the puppet because that is or- all orchestrated. That narcissist maybe is planning for you to explode because they've been, you know, shoving you into this like, control. Like, I don't like that music. No one likes that music. You know, that's so silly. Right. People can't take that and hold that in for so long. No, no. Right. And I would even say that the children are puppets. Yes. the children. Yeah. They've been manipulated to behave a certain way, to have certain feelings against the targeted parent. And they either align with the abuser or they suffer the wrath of the abuser. Yeah. They'll be rewarded by the abuser as well. So whatever gets them the toy and that feel-good feeling and the praise and the time, yeah, they're going to continue that behavior. Absolutely. No matter if that's at the demise of the other parent. And unfortunately, it it always seems to be the healthy parent whom is the target. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, No. no, right. Like, so there's always going to be um, a protective parent and the coercive controller, right? Mm -hmm. AKA narcissist, AKA abuser, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's all about for that abuser, the only way that he feels good or okay about himself is is if he has power and control over others. So that's his supply. It makes him feel good. And so Mm -hmm. that's why when the victim finally leaves, it gets so bad because his supply is cut off, right? But of course, let's just be really clear. Most of these people have 
many other people, um, multiple partners on the side. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's typically how they survive. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's always something they want from you. So it's either their children or you start to heal yourself and speak up. You know, their ego could just so easily be bruised that now you've changed and they can't control you anymore and that triggers them. Or you mm -hmm. may be speaking up publicly and they are highly offended by that because they're perfect and the world cannot know that they are hurting you and abusing you. So, yeah, right. that was a really interesting thing to observe with uh, Amber and Johnny because, to be honest, I was watching even videos from other narcissist advocates in the community and I was like, I just don't really have a strong opinion either side because there's literally all I saw was trauma. There is trauma out on display. This is what happens when you have like the public figure and your money is entangled with public opinion. And it just was so hideous that it had to be put out there on display. I mean, I couldn't even imagine myself going Agreed. through that with my ex and it was horrible yeah. and having to- it is. Having people call you an actress and having other people call you a drunk and all the stuff. It's just really not, horrible. And I think the yeah. systemic abuse, I mean, there was, there are some things that happened along the way that were not, that are not appropriate in the system. I wanted to go back to one last, maybe second to last, last question, depending on the timing, um, is you had said something and it triggered a thought about how not all victims have low self esteem and a, the majority of my guests have kind of been pointing towards that it is. And for me personally, it was, but it, it's not for everyone because they also can go forth those who are really smart. Um, and I had someone comment on one of my blogs about self-worth, self-esteem, and, and he felt like he was 100% great self-esteem, but she was just an actor. Like, how do you, like, give me, give us more insight on this is it self-esteem? Is it not self-esteem? I think, first of all, self-esteem, of course, is a continuum, as you know. And we could have good self-worth in certain parts of our life and maybe lower self-worth in other parts of our life. I think it's fair to say that if you've been abused, you probably have low self-worth in that relationship and or as a parent, maybe, if the children are being used against you. It totally makes sense. You know, you question your parenting, you question yourself. But the question becomes, did you come to that relationship like having low self-esteem or outside of that relationship, do you have a decent sense of self? Do you know who you are outside of it? In that relationship, the goal is, so stripping the autonomy is, it's beyond just stripping your ability to be independent, but it's also your ability to know Christine as who Christine is. And the goal of the abuser is to make you question Christine and in my case, right? Or to certainly gaslight you, right? Call it a mind, whatever. Like it literally plays crazy games in your mind, right? Yeah. And so during those periods and during that time, did your self-worth suffer? Yes. I guess what I would say is that it takes a lot of self-worth and an immense amount of strength to recognize it. And if you recognized it, then you are, you are a badass. You are a badass because you're not staying in it, right? Like even if you have to stay in the relationship, but if you recognized it and you started to see what was happening, then that's your worth, your ability to make decisions for yourself, your autonomy coming back. So yes, 
He tried to kill it, but he didn't. And before, maybe you had it. And in other parts of your life, you had it. But in this area, he really like took a chisel and was chiseling away at it. Or I think Evan Stark calls it, it's like a carpenter ants, the carpenter ants in a house, the way they oh, devour yeah. ants. Tiny, right? tiny little bits. Yeah. Tiny little, little, little bits. You don't even know what's happening, right? It's these little mm-hmm. tiny things that are occurring that are like, what's going on? And you start doubting yourself. But then thankfully, if you've been able to go off to work and be satisfied in that way, that helps, right? And so that's what I say to victims who know they have to stay. They may have decided they have to stay, is make sure that you're trying to do some other things for yourself so that you can create a strength in other parts of your life that you need in order to eventually hopefully leave. But that there's no judgment on people who stay, by the way, because it's the hardest decision. And again, it's probably the most dangerous decision in many cases. Yeah. I love that explanation. And I I can confer that and not take away like, I just want to make sure as I've been preaching this, like work on your self-worth, self-esteem, that it's it's like you said, it's a continuous process. And for me, mine was down in the gutter, but that was also from childhood trauma and all that stuff. But that still doesn't make me or any of you listening worthless. That just means, okay, here's some little holes we got to color in. And that's okay. Because, you know, when you do the work, it actually will flow a lot easier. So yeah, I don't want right. to. I love to that you say color in. Everybody. I love that you say color in. It's like there's like little pieces of the puzzle or a little coloring that just needs to, yeah, and to go back to, again, the people who are in these relationships are the strongest human beings in the world, yeah. especially, and that's not to diminish physical abuse, but if it's insidious, what we know from research is that that is more traumatic because we can't see it. Yeah. And so- horrifying to be physically abused, no question about it, and so much trauma related to that. But think about, I guess, if we think about like children, right? Um, The idea that if they're in a situation like this, they may not have a bruise and they don't really understand what's going on and how that impacts the developing brain. And by the way, the ego, the health, what we want is for them to have a healthy ego and it's being compromised Mm -hmm. by an abuser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the most detrimental. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The the invisible enemy is the worst enemy. You know, mm-hmm. like the gas, chemical gases that you can't smell will kill you versus exactly. something hitting you on the head physically. Mm-hmm. It's all horrible. But I think also it's even more traumatic because the tribe is believing the abuser with the emotion, oh. right? You know, they don't see bruises, especially in the systems. There's no evidence. There's no proof. I mean, I called the police when I was being harassed by my ex because I hashtag me too to him for, I was diagnosed sexually abused. So I felt the right that I could hashtag me too. And they were like, I'm sorry, I can't do anything. I can't file anything. This is just a text message. And I was like, nothing? Like, I can't have any evidence. He's like, yeah, I just advise you to block him. I was like, well, that uh, well, that was obvious. Thank you so much for your service. But it just felt, you know, like the tribe and the system does not support that emotional. Exactly. Which is why, again, like we started the conversation about this. And I'm so sorry that happened to you. But I think it's about we can help people on the micro level. And you're doing all of that great work, right, by having this podcast. But we really all individually need to work on getting the ERA ratified. We need to work on course of control laws that codify 
that non-physical violence is still domestic abuse. And yeah. until we start doing that, we're not going to have systems supporting victims. We're not. You know, oh, he followed yeah. me home. Well, okay. You know, I mean, but it's a pat. So that's yeah. the one thing about course of control that maybe I didn't say. It's a pattern of behavior. Mm. It's a pattern. It doesn't like this is a long term. It can happen over 20 some odd years. It can, ha- but it's a pattern. And so when someone shows you who they are, Maya Angelou says, right, we, be- we need to believe them. Yes. Yeah. Hats off to Maya. I love her. Yes. Believe them. See the signs. Look between the lines and don't believe their lies. This mm-hmm. is such a beautiful conversation, Christine. Thank you so much for being here and sharing with us your wisdom. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. Such a pleasure. Where do you connect with uh, people best? Where would you like everyone to find? Sure. They can go to my website. It's drcochiola.com. A lot of C's in there. C-O-C-C-H-I-O-L-A. Or they could just go to iknowyourheart.com. I run a protective parenting program to support moms who are navigating, as I say, the stormy seas of parenting with a coercive controller. Mm. And it's uh, clinically based and also, uh, obviously, I'm a survivor. So it's really about supporting and coaching people through the process of how to best support their children who have been coercively controlled. And it's called child abuse. So yeah, that is child abuse. Yes. Thank you for your work. Sure. I'm also on Instagram. Coercive control is IPV, intimate partner violence. So if anybody wants to follow me there. Good. We'll have all those links in the show notes, you guys. So you can just swipe up and yeah, click on over. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And remember, everybody, keep your unique light shining. Claim your offer at www.ravenscott.show forward slash shop. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to click the link in the show notes to grab your free gift to get your free how to draw powerful boundaries workshop. If you enjoyed this episode, rate and review. And you know, everything is spread through trust and by word of mouth. So if you feel like you have a friend or you come into contact with someone that is sharing with you some information that you feel this really could help, make sure that you share it. You can text it on over. You can share it to your stories on your socials. You can share it by word of mouth. You can share it by email. All the ways it is important to continue to spread this light and love out into the world to make sure we all have the tools to heal from our childhood wounds from our trauma so we can live our best and most evolved lives. See you next episode. Madvi is helping people release emotional baggage, breaking negative patterns, and finding the root causes with the emotion and body code. Visit www.madvi.ca. That's M-A-D-H-V-I dot C-A. I can personally attest that this is an amazing way to heal trauma out that you can't do with meditation and thought therapy and talk therapy and all the things. So reach out to her and get a free 30-minute consultation to see if this is something that can help you.
transform your childhood trauma into triumph during this free event. Unlock Michael and our special guest's exact blueprints to not just survive in a trauma-filled world, but to transform trauma into triumph in your life, career and relationships, family and secure your future. Save your free seat while you still can. Click the link in the show notes to join the free transformation week starting December 13th through 17th. Michael is calling this Unbroken Con. Join him for this free transformational event. And until then, my friend, be unbroken. Unbroken.